0: Welcome to Break Bias. I'm your host, Brad Kramer. It's the 33rd episode, the 2015 to 2021 Max Verstappen episode. Yes, I have to be specific because obviously he has the number one on his car now, but he is the last guy to have 33 on his car. So yes, it's our first repeat. It's his episode again. Um, And I'm here after an underwhelming Mexico City Grand Prix, to say the least. Um, But it did see the driver of this episode break the record for the most race wins in a season. Yeah, I know I usually don't uh, give away who won the race during or before, I should say, my race review. But I don't think this one's going to be that long because, like I said, kind of underwhelming. But there's some other things I want to get into as well. So let's talk Mexico. It's lights out and away we go. So, The Mexico City Grand Prix at the Autodromo Hermanos Rodríguez. I hope I'm saying that right. Um, But yeah, what a weekend Um, atmosphere-wise. Yes, the race didn't really live up to the hype, but the crowd is always fantastic in Mexico. Um, Obviously, Checo Perez is a massive home favorite. They absolutely love him there. Anytime he's out on the track, they are just going nuts for him. And yeah, it's just, it's always a cool weekend, and we always want to see Checo do well here. Of course, he didn't win, but let's find out where he finished. Um, But before I get into the race, a few things. Uh, I guess I'll start with some of the young drivers we got to see in FP1 again. We got to see uh, Logan Sargent, um, Liam Lawson again. So two guys we've seen already back in uh, the Alvatore and the Williams, respectively. Um, And then we also got to see Pietro Fittipaldi. He's doing one of the Haas tests, and I believe he's going to do the other one as well in Abu Dhabi. And then uh, Jack Doohan, finally Alpine, getting a young driver in their car. It's been forever. And um, these two guys specifically, some pretty bad luck. I feel worse for Pietro because I feel like he actually has two races under his belt, and Doohan has none. Um, he's been in an F1 car before a lot more than Duan has, but yeah, Pietro only got like what five laps in, um, at least it wasn't his mistake, like Giovinazzi. Um, but yeah, his engine went and it actually ended up costing Kevin Magnussen because it was on his car. So they had to change some components. He took a five place grid penalty later, but yeah, Pietro just didn't really get his time in the car. So hopefully he gets a straightforward session in Abu Dhabi and I don't really think, by any means that Pietro Filipaldi is really I don't want to say F1 caliber, but I just don't really think he's a serious candidate for a seat. However, he's a good guy, and you know, he, he signed this contract to get some time in a Formula One car and then kind of got shafted. But I think the more interesting one is Jack Dewan. He at least got more of a session, but he was also done early because there was some weird things going on with the Alpine engine. Um, I actually don't know the specifics there, but Anyway, the whole point is it gets cut short, and I'm pretty sure the there's five young drivers, and they were the bottom five of the FP1 session. Not that surprising, uh, but still, I it's hard to say. Like I wouldn't say anyone's really standing out right now, but they're also probably not pushing. They're just getting used to the car, and the last thing they want to do to potentially their future employer is to crash their car. So. Yeah, no, I feel for Fittipaldi and doing a little bit. Um, Sargent's actually getting, I think, another one in Abu Dhabi potentially as well. So he'll be getting a lot of looks in the Williams. So he's fine, if he, even if he were to get cut short. And then a million Red Bull drivers could have got the look in the AlfaTauri, and they gave it to Lawson both times. So I wonder if there's something in his contract as well. Because I was kind of, I I was actually keeping track of this. I, I'm on a separate separate document. I've been keeping track of what teams are putting the young drivers in for their young drivers test. And I put like so many potentials for the Red Bull seat, you know, Dennis Hauger, Jayon Daruvala, Yuri Vips was in the Red Bull, uh, Awasa even like so many, I'm even missing a few. And it was just Lawson and Vips so far and Red Bull still has to do their other one. So yeah, I, I thought they would maybe spread it out a bit more and get more guys, more looks, but Lawson probably is the most promising prospect of all of them, besides maybe Hauger and Owasa, because they're sort of a little younger, but they're a lot more raw, so I understand giving the look to Lawson. Anyway, probably talking about the young drivers a little bit too much. Pretty big news, I would say. Um, the cost cap verdict came out since our last episode, um, and it is Red Bull receiving a $7 million fine and a decrease of wind tunnel time by 10%, but... It's actually just going to be 63%. It's kind of confusing. I'm not going to bother explaining it. Essentially, they were supposed to get 70% of the wind tunnel time because they won the constructors. Now they're only getting 63%. Do I think that is enough of a fine? I think the wind tunnel time was appropriate, and this is exactly the type of fine or a penalty, I should say, that I that was expected. So I guess I'm happy in a way that I kind of like, was on top of that one. And I was pretty sure that this was going to happen. However, I do think that maybe not seven mil, but I do think that like, sure. They ended up going 400,000 over. So they did not do that 1.8 million that was suggested before. The reason it's not 1.8 million is because Red Bulls, um, What was I can't remember the word now. Their other type, it wasn't the overspend breach. It was the procedural breach. That's what it was. The procedural breach was that they messed up their taxes, and they actually overpaid 1.4 million. So they actually only ended up overpaying by 400 thousand. I think at the very least that 400 thousand should have came out of their next year's cost cap. Um, However, they did not receive any cost cap fines, um, and obviously no championship points deductions or anything like that. but Christian Horner seems to think that this cost cap verdict is going to be huge. Um, and he used the words draconian, which isn't really a common word used in everyone's vocabulary. So if you don't know what that means, it's basically just really harsh. And it's, it's I don't know, I think he was exaggerating a lot. He said that this amount of uh, wind tunnel time that they're losing is equal to a quarter of a second to half a second of lap time not only is that a pretty big range you're just not losing half a second like i've seen so many people provide counterpoints to this and it's literally like well williams is getting like 120 percent of the uh wind tunnel time yet they're at the back of the grid every year yes they don't have the money of course and they're not a they're not a team like red bull but still if it was half a second of lap time, that wouldn't be happening. Wind tunnel time is very crucial to the development of a car, but that was in a massive a massive exaggeration. I think it was Mercedes that came out and said, you know what, it I don't actually don't know if it was Mercedes. It might have just been a pundit. I, I forget who said this, but they think that it would it was a quarter of a second max, not quarter of a second minimum, like Christian Horner had said. Anyway, Red Bull was also in the news for a little bit more of a recent thing. And that was this weekend. Max Verstappen and many of the Red Bull team. If not all of the Red Bull team. I actually can't confirm that. Um, was boycotting Sky Sports. Um, based off of Ted Kravitz's comments. Um, if you don't know who he is. He is basically like the uh, <laughs> the witty guy. Who comes off from like the, the sidelines. And has his notebook and whatever. And he's got some very corny comments sometimes. And sometimes he's funny. He's an interesting guy, quirky, I would say, has a quirky quirky Kravitz. Um, but yeah, he he made comments like Lewis got robbed in twenty twenty one even though like he's not really wrong. I think the other comment that it seemed like that was the comment that made the news, but I actually saw another video where he hundred percent like the way it came across was very disrespectful to Max and basically said that he can't win a championship under normal circumstances. If he had said that, like, just weird circumstances have happened while Max has won the championship, that would be true. But the way he said it, he said, that, like, he can't win a championship under normal circumstances. Like, he's not physically capable. That's how it came across. So I I, I, under, I understand it. Um, and obviously, you don't just boycott after one comment. Max apparently has been feeling disrespected by, by him and Sky Sports uh, quite a bit for you to boycott it. So we'll see how this story develops. Um, I'm sure Sky Sports are just going to, I don't think they're going to really do anything. I don't even know if they'll address it. Um, but we'll see what the coverage is going to be like because I'm pretty sure Max only talked to F1 commentators and outsiders all weekend long. So yeah, um, I guess a couple other things, but small notes. Um, I just want to quickly shout out the Mexican version of the F1 theme song, the mariachi, everyone was buzzing about this. That was awesome. And they actually used it for the intro. Um, Awesome. Like, it sounds so good. And I heard some people saying that, like, this should just be it all year. And no, it shouldn't. It should just be a Mexico thing because, you know, that's what makes this weekend so special. So, yeah, some people, they, they want... Silverstone, every single race, or you know what I mean? Or like Spa, every single race. But what makes the calendar of Formula One so cool is the variety. And when, you know, US can have its celebrity quirkiness, but then Mexico, we can go in there, we can really feel their culture. It's it's cool. Like I think every weekend being different is what makes Formula One so awesome. Um So yeah, I, I love it, Mexico. Keep it up. I I don't love your track. I'm not trying to like bring you down after I I talk you up. Um, I don't love your track. It's, it's decent. Um, but again, I think speaking about their track, like the altitude thing, yes, I wouldn't say it, it usually leads to more retirements and teams kind of having to turn down their power units, but it just brings a different element to the race and to the weekend that I think is cool that not every other race has this, uh, you know elevation issue so yeah i i just i'm always a fan of variety um however i just hope we don't get all vegas's and miami's because then that would suck you know what i mean i'm fine with it in moderation last thing before the race review and i mean this is kind of we're getting a little bit more into the on track stuff is we had a prelly tire test it wasn't the first one um I just wanted to quickly mention that because I also want to kind of segue into another Pirelli topic, and that's the tire compounds they chose for this weekend. And this will come into play during the race review. Um, They admitted during the Pirelli tire test because um, I usually watch the Sky Sports feed. I have F1 TV, so I I I could choose, but I usually lean towards the international, which is the Sky Sports feed, and. I just like lights out and away we go. <laughs> That's like really the only reason to be honest. Um, but yeah, they were interviewing someone at Pirelli, like almost the entire tire test. And I was watching the practice and they admitted for the weekend that they chose compounds that were too hard for the track. They, they realized that they probably should have ch- gone with softer compounds. And I thought that was pretty kind of strange um it wasn't the first time they'd made this error, apparently in spain i do remember people like were three stopping on softs and mediums just because the hards were that bad um but here there were only one stops and somehow we were still going soft to medium pretty easily at least in the case of red bull anyway i'm giving away a little bit too much so let's uh let's go into qualifying after practice sessions, it was kind of hard because FP1 had a lot of the youngsters. FP2 was a lot of the Pirelli tire test, and then FP3 was like our first legit practice session. And I would say going into qualifying, it really looked like Mercedes would have a pretty good shot at being competitive. Well, Ferrari—they're always going to be there over one lap, but on on race sims and Charles Leclerc also bend it in FP2 didn't look like it was exactly vibing with the track. It looked like uh, you know it was. Um, It was a little it was a little sus. Unstable. That was the word I was trying to think. It did not look stable uh across the track. Um so yeah, going in, I didn't really have a whole lot of faith in Ferrari, but they can always, always pull out a pole position lap. Um, however, in the race, I was already pretty sus on them, even in practice. But in Q1, we actually had kind of an interesting scenario here, and I know I'm kind of getting into Q2 already, but we had the bottom four teams, not exactly in order, but they all stacked on top of each other. Like The slowest two were the two Williams, and then the next two were the two Aston Martins, and then the next two were the Hasses, and then the next two were the Alpha Towers. And in theory, that should always happen, right? But of course, some drivers are a little bit better than their teammates. Um, Albon is quicker than Latifi Vettel was quicker than Stroll. However, Stroll, he qualified 18th and had a three-place grid penalty, so basically guaranteed that he'd be in last. Magnussen got to 15th ahead of Schumacher in 16th. So Magnussen's five-place penalty kept him ahead of Stroll, so they'd start on the back row. Um, and then in Q2, Magnussen, like I said, he was P15. The Alpha Tires were next. Uh, Sonoda had a Gasly. And then finally, we get into the top 12, and it's a bit of a different story. We had Ricardo just shy of Q3 in P11, and Joe was nowhere near the pace of Bottas. Bottas had gone faster than a Red Bull, a Ferrari, and a Mercedes in Q1. And in Q2, he was just over two-tenths slower than Hamilton's marker, who, was, who topped uh, Q2. And speaking of that marker... Uh, Hamilton led one of the tightest sessions I've ever seen. So this is of course for Q2 so this is not a fight for pool um, and you know some people are on used tires, some people are on new tires so it's it's not an exact um, measurement of what Q3 is going to look like. but Hamilton in first signs P2 8 thousandths back on Hamilton and then Russell, P3, 13 ths of a second behind Hamilton for Stappen. 14 thousandths of a second behind Hamilton. So Russell and Verstappen separated by one one thousandth of a second. That is unfathomably fast. You can't even think of how fast 0.001 seconds is. And then there's also Perez who was within just over half a tenth. That is insane. Those are basically five identical laps. Maybe besides Perez who is like a a wheel behind. (laughs) Like wild that was crazy in Q3 it did look like it was anyone's game but Verstappen he did bring his A game ended up taking pole for the first time in Mexico mind you at a track he's always done really well it's his first pole though by three tenths over Russell who actually was putting in a pretty fantastic lap unfortunately went deep into the stadium section in sector three and he was pretty vocal on the radio apologetic to the team because he thought he had a shot at pole Um, And Russell was looking really good in this qualifying. Hamilton was kind of ahead, but Russell was always right there. In practice, he was quick, too. Uh, Hamilton did have his lap time deleted first, um, but on his second flying lap, he was able to get within five thousandths of Russell. Again, super thin margins. But, yeah, a great showing for Mercedes, while Perez, signs, Bottas were all right behind Lewis. So, yeah, Bottas ahead of... Quali master Leclerc, who was just kind of off of it all weekend. Signs was P2 and Q2. Leclerc was down in like P8. He did pull into the pits because he didn't need to set the lap. He was like the last one out on track, but still not a good weekend for Leclerc. And you'll see in a second. So the race start. Um, It's always exciting in Mexico because it has to be one of, if not the longest run down to turn one on the calendar. It's also a wide corner, proven last year when Max Lewis and Valtteri went three abreast, and Max had that brilliant move along the outside that, don't get me wrong, brilliant move, amazing on the brakes, but Valtteri, what the hell, man? What the hell? I don't think it would have mattered at the end of the day. Red Bull was just much quicker than Mercedes on that day, but Valtteri certainly pissed me off. Uh, Anyway, before the start, though, I usually get right into it, but I want to give my thoughts on what happened when Mercedes pulled the blankets off of their tires and showed everyone that they were on the yellow striped and not the red striped. So I'm going to be honest. I didn't think it was a problem being on like, I, I tr- I'll i trust the team. You know, they're, they think it would be better to start on the medium. The Mercedes, like the W13 is just a strange car. I was figuring, you know what, maybe they just think that they have better pace on the mediums and they want a longer stint on those. We'll see what happens. There were some talks of a two-stop. I don't know. I don't have the data. I didn't think it was an issue seeing them on the mediums. However, it was not the right call in hindsight, and you'll see in a second. So let's let's do turn one. And mind you, starting on the mediums gives you a worse chance off the line. And the start is where Mercedes really could have capitalized, but unfortunately they did not. Lewis moved up a spot past his teammate um, in a pretty feisty battle, I might say. Max got a great start. He led it a turn one. Great job from him. Um, Lewis gets ahead of George, and I probably cost George a little bit because Perez was actually able to get George. So just like that, we have the finishing order (laughs) of the top four. Um, Like I said, I'm not going to review this race a whole lot. The Ferraris, they were really... Um, on the back of George looking to get a moved on early on, like they always are at the beginning of their stints, very feisty, but they fell off very fast. Um, I'll get to them in a second as well. The first stint, I will say Lewis on the mediums, Max on the softs, Lewis was hanging on extremely well. I think there's definitely some management going on for Max for sure. Um, while Lewis is probably pushing a little bit more. However, I thought it was looking really, really good for Mercedes for a while because, I didn't really know what was in store for the strategy. Um, eventually, because of course they're on the softs. Perez was the first to, first to pit of the Red Bulls. Bit of a slow stop, and it actually may have cost him um, a chance at Lewis for P two in the end. Um, however, he, yeah, he did get kind of caught up behind the Ferraris. I'm not sure if he maybe would have came up behind them anyway, but the the stop obviously cost him. It was about five five point five seconds. Um, and Verstappen also came in, they both pitted for mediums. So I was thinking, wow, this is only like 25 laps into the race or so. They're probably going to go for a two-stop strategy and go back on the softs later. Um, however, I was also thinking, well, Mercedes is on the mediums and we're kind of hearing that, you know, people are doing fine on the softs. Tire dag isn't as bad. So I'm thinking, oh, maybe Mercedes is going medium-soft and Red Bull is going soft-medium. That should be interesting. However, they they bring in Lewis, and it was much, much too early for soft. So I was wondering if Mercedes is maybe trying a two-stop strategy. But it, it has become apparent that Lewis has put on the hard tire. And like I said, Pirelli even admitted they brought too hard of tires to the race, which kind of makes sense as to why Red Bull was so easily able to just do a soft-medium strategy because it was basically like a medium-hard strategy. And Mercedes basically went for the hard, super-hard strategy, which definitely isn't the way to go. Um, So, yeah, the part that really kind of confused me though is when russell was saying yeah like let's extend like let's, let's extend yes he was losing time to max of course because max is on a fresher tire and he's on a better he's in a better car and he's just a faster driver so it's not surprising that he's gaining on russell however they brought in even though they saw that it wasn't really working for lewis they bring george in for hards like five or so laps later that was strange he George wanted the softs. He wanted to extend and go into softs. Lewis, apparently, actually, came out after the race. that He wanted to start on the softs. So, yes, in hindsight, Mercedes made a mistake. And I'd seen some people talk about this as well. And it's would this Ferrari, and they made this same mistake, would they have been lit up for it? And I think, yes, absolutely, they would have been. There's one thing that I, or I guess actually two things that I have to mention, though, in that respect first of all ferrari was in the title fight when all these mistakes were happening and it appeared that they had the faster car because they were on pole position way more often and we hadn't really learned the full extent of their tire degradation problems so i would say ferrari also was was kind of getting lit up for that reason but then the other one is mercedes has done so much like successful wise in the past eight years, that they deserve the benefit of the doubt. And I think that's why they get the benefit of the doubt when they make, like, one mistake, especially in a year like this where they have nothing to lose. It feels like they almost should gamble every weekend because Red Bull is so dominant. So that's why I think there's a bit of a difference there. And, you know, Ferrari's Ferrari, and they haven't won in forever as well. And all those reasons, I think, are what makes Ferrari so much more memeable than Mercedes. However, back to the race. Um... It, w- it was kind of strange that both Lewis and George were so unhappy with the choice, but the team were so adamant that Red Bull had to do too long of a stint on the mediums, which was clearly not the case because I thought by the end of the stint that Lewis would at least come back a bit but was going to be nowhere near close enough. Max kept extending the lead the entire time, and I think Max's performance, I heard some people say that it was a good race from Perez. I don't really agree. I think to not be able to pass Lewis on the mediums while Lewis is on the hards, I think you have to give Lewis some credit there, but you also have to be like, Perez, how do you not get that done? I mean, he did his job as a second driver. Third place is fine, but that was definitely not a standout performance from Perez, and I think that he was a little bit disappointed with his performance. But yeah, that was your podium, Um, but I'm not done reviewing the race because there are a few things going on in the midfield. Alonso was best of the rest for a while, and he actually said before the race that he would start to manage his tires in his race from lap two, which I think definitely showed in his pace because he was falling way behind from the Ferraris, but just keeping Bottas, who was very quick this weekend, at bay at the same time, and Ocon and Norris were kind of also in that battle, just hanging back just a little bit, there was not much field spread at all in that area of the race for quite a while, like quite a few laps in. I was still like, look how close like everyone is. Like they're all like just two seconds back from each other, chilling. Lewis was even two seconds back, Perez three, Russell four. Like it was very close besides the Ferraris who were just in a complete league of their own in third fastest. And then, yeah, the rest of the midfield. Anyway, though, Alonso... He puts himself in a good position to pick up some good points, potentially best of the rest, and his engine goes again. Poor guy. Um, He was pretty upset about it, uh, clearly, uh, on the video, Um, and he brought out the VSC, and I guess I just wanted to quickly say that when I saw that VSC, because of how, for lack of a better word, boring this race was, to see a VSC come out near the end was just like, oh my god, like just... Give us a safety car just for something to happen. Of course, the VSC, which does absolutely nothing. It, it slows down the boredom even more. So that was painful. Um, before Alonso's retirement, though, basically the only entertainment we had for most of this race, besides maybe the beginning because there was so much uncertainty, was Danny Rick. He's, he's catching Yuki Tsunoda for P11. And they had an incident to the double right-hander in Sector 2. And I have to say, well, Yuki had to retire. He had a terminal uh, issue, which was so shitty for him because he actually was doing a pretty good race and was racing better than Gasly. He was P11. I'm not sure if he would have gotten to the points, but still, a respectable race from Yuki, and he was just taken out by a bit of a reckless move from Danny, and Danny got a 10-second penalty for it. But I also want to come to the defense of Ricardo because 10 seconds for that was absolutely ridiculous. I think that Yuki actually definitely could have left some more space ricardo was there not far enough that yuki didn't have the the room to turn in however it's it's hard because you know yuki might not have been expecting it at all but if he saw daniel there he easily could have just gave him a little bit more space on the apex and yuki would have been fine defending that position ricardo even said he wasn't even trying to overtake so a bit of, like, a, maybe a misjudgment on both parts. I think Daniel probably deserved a 5-second penalty because it did take Yuki out of the race. But 10 seconds for that was wild, I thought. Like, I thought that was extremely harsh. However, this was probably one of, like, the most vintage Daniel Ricardo things I've ever seen. So this guy, he gets a 10-second penalty. Everyone's like, well, that's it. He's probably going to finish, like, 16th now. Um, McLaren would bring him in and they're like, you know what? Let's strap on the softs. We just saw Vettel do 40 laps on the softs. Like I said, the the tires were too hard. 40 laps on the softs. That's crazy in a 70 lap race in Mexico. Um, so they strapped Daniel on the softs and this guy is absolutely cracked on the softs. He quickly catches the back of, I don't remember who was first. It might've even been Lando. Um, no, he was passing some other midfielders first, maybe like Joe I apologize. I don't remember. He he went through a lot of guys, and he was just picking guys off left and right. The broadcast team were like, look at Daniel. He might, he might overtake Al- Alonso. Alonso wasn't retired at this point, but he was best of the rest at the time. And, yes, he had 10 seconds. He had to get 10 seconds up the road to not lose out. But this guy, he gets Ocon eventually because the VSC slowed him down a little bit. Alonso was out, so Ocon was sitting best of the rest. And he catches up to the back of Ocon with still like 10 laps to go. And this guy, this absolute Daniel play, like what a legend. On the straight, he literally finger guns Ocon like he's shooting him because he knows he's going to overtake. Like it was the most savage classic Daniel thing I've ever seen. Blows past him, goes 12 seconds up the road and picks up P7, best of the rest and driver of the day insane i don't know where that came from um clearly the softs were just a way better tire because all those guys were on the hards but still hats off to daniel he still did the driving he still executed he was having a decent race even up until then so amazing but let's talk about the final results because that's pretty much all that happened so uh p1 max verstappen he ended up 15 seconds up the road in the end and it seemed pretty close in the beginning but Clearly, it was never in reach for, for Mercedes. P2, Hamilton for the second consecutive weekend. P3, Perez in the podium again at home. Russell, P4. Kind of gone over that already. I think he actually might have been the quicker Merc on Sunday, to be honest. He, he had a really good second stint on the hearts. Um, signs, it was P5, Leclerc, P6. Absolutely anonymous race from Ferrari. It was like Mercedes at the beginning of the season. That was a really bad look for them. I had heard that they were maybe turning down their PU, trying to just save their turbocharger because it was really rough on them, which I could understand because they just knew this wasn't a weekend for them anyway. Why why really risk it? Let's just bring it home. It's kind of a sad, um, sad thing for Ferrari to have to do, but I, I kind of get it. Um, like, yeah, Ricardo, best of the rest in P7. Yes, I know. I just said that. Crazy, um, he has not done that all year, came absolutely out of nowhere, I can't believe he actually got 10 seconds clear of Ocon and P8, wild, uh, Norris was P9, losing to Daniel for probably what was like the 4th time this season, and there's been what, 19 races, 20 races, um, that was really surprising, when I saw Daniel like get past Lando, I was like, what, like, why wouldn't Lando be on this strategy? But clearly it was because of the 10-second penalty and whatnot. Um, and then, yeah, Bottas, P10. Finally, I don't have to say, he hasn't scored since Canada like I have in every single podcast for, like, what feels like five months. Um, so he finally breaks that streak of not scoring since Canada. Happy for him. The Alpha, alpha looked quick. Uh, In the Drivers' Championship, Max extends his lead again. He has scored the most points ever in a season now as well, another record for him. Uh, While Sergio Perez and Charles Leclerc continue to flip-flop for P2, Perez again ahead of the Monegasque by 5 points. George Russell remains in P4, but Lewis Hamilton has finally pulled himself out of P6, passing Carlos Sainz. He now leads him by 4 points. And they're both in sort of touching distance of George, but with only two races left, I think George is going to lock up that P4, barring a retirement. Uh, Lando, comfortably in P7. I think if he retired twice, he would still take P7. So, great season from Lando already, even if he has bad two races. Ocon stays ahead of Alonso by 11 points. I think that's a position that he's really going to want to keep on to, even though it's clear to everyone that's watching that Alonso's been quicker than Ocon. Ocon's had a good season, but Alonso's been quicker, and he's had way, way, way more bad luck. Um, and Bottas stays P10 with his one point. I also think it's worth mentioning that the standings I reported last week are now incorrect because Alonso had his P7 reinstated after Austin with that whole shenanigans. Really weird scenario there. I still understand Hass's uh protests, but alpine was actually completely right to protest their protest because Haas logged it um too late or lodged it sorry anyway in the constructors red bull is in the lead by over 200 points now while ferrari hold a 40 point lead over mercedes the battle for p4 has gotten a bit spicier as well uh, with alpine leading by seven points i'm going to be talking about that in a moment Alfa Romeo stays P6, getting what could be a crucial point. They now have a four-point lead over Aston Martin. And they're looking quick, too. Aston Martin was not quick this weekend at all. Only two races to go. Four points might be tough. Haas has kept a one-point lead over Alfa and that might be all they need to keep P8. They no, Neither team has looked good recently. I think if one team were to get one point, I would probably say it's going to be Alfa Tari. But... I think even with 1 point I feel like Haas has more good results. I know I think Gasly and no Gasly only has a P6 I think in Baku, so I think Magnussen's P5 in Bahrain would get them P8 on countback. I'll have to check that for next episode. Um and Williams pointless again down in P10. That was actually a pretty long race review for Not being, of course, I talked for a long time before I started the race review, but anyway, now it's time for my prize demise and surprise. Okay, prize I kind of have two. I want to quickly shout out Valtteri Bottas for an absolutely phenomenal weekend. I think they actually maybe could have finished best of the rest if he was on a bit of a better strategy. He did the medium hard like the Mercedes, clearly, that wasn't the right way to go, but he still brought it home in the points. Great from him. It's actually kind of sad though. If Alonso hadn't retired, Bottas would have been P11 and the streak would have continued. Yikes. But still a prize for him because he drove phenomenally regardless. And he finally got that point, ending that streak. And he was just way quicker than Joe on this weekend, too. I think people were starting to worry a little bit about that. I don't know if it was a positive for Joe or a negative for Bottas. But anyway, he is clearly still the leader in that team. And if he wants to be there when Audi eventually become uh, Alfa Romeo he's got to keep being the veteran leader of this team Um, but the real prize of the weekend is not Daniel Ricciardo it is McLaren and I'll explain why so I feel like Daniel of course putting in a good performance is going to be big for him I feel like it's a bit too far gone anyway and this is just a one-off he has to continue to be good to show any team like promise of him getting back on the grid the reason why this is more of a dub for mclaren than ricardo because not only did ricardo also he did make the mistake in that yuki incident it's mclaren who need ricardo to score points in their battle for p4 and i'm actually going to elaborate that on a little bit more because that's what my championship segment is about to be about so let's do demise I kind of talked about this one already as well, but I could not think of a bigger demise than Yuki Tsunoda this weekend. He had a real shot of putting in a really good performance, and AlphaTauri really needed that one point that he potentially could have gotten, and he was robbed of what could have been a really great race for him. Um, So I really felt for Yuki in that scenario, Um, and yeah, it's just kind of... I feel like even when he has a good race going, bad things happen to him as well, um i feel like his pace is good but i don't know if he's and i i don't know the guy but it really does feel like he's maybe just not mentally as strong as some of the other drivers as well like he gets pretty emotional If, if, if you if you know yuki even a little bit just from watching him he is one of the most interesting personalities on the grid very colorful um and I just feel like he needs to be, cons- he needs to get some like consistent luck. And then I feel like he will feed off of his own progress. So to see this happen to him again, I feel like it's just kind of like another step back. So it's unfortunate. Um, Yuki takes the L and it sucks, but I just, I think it was him. And the surprise, um, I will quickly say I was very surprised by Aston's poor performance. I, they seem like they were just struggling for grip all weekend. I don't really have anything else to say on that because I don't really know what happened. Um, But the big surprise to me was how few retirements. I do these predictions every weekend on the F1 Play app, and I think I predicted there would be 16 drivers classified at the end, and I thought there was maybe a potential chance for less. But only one engine blew up. Like, Yuki was taken out by Ricardo only one engine blew up. We had a clean turn one. I was very surprised by that. So hats off to the drivers for the clean turn one and the clean racing besides Daniel. And also the reliability of the teams. I mean, maybe Ferrari would have had a double retirement if they didn't turn their engines down. Um, But yeah, usually Mexico, I feel like, is really hard on the engines. And it was only the Alpine, classic Alpine. Um, So yeah, let's talk about the championship now. Okay, I, I said I would talk about it a few episodes ago when I decided to talk about the Alfa Romeo and Aston Martin battle for P6. It is finally time we dissect this McLaren-Alpine battle for P4. Like I said, it just got a lot spicier. There's seven points of separation with two races left. And McLaren, well, Lando, is, is he's there every single race. And the reason I kind of started by saying McLaren is because their reliability is incredible. And especially looking at the Alpines who have horrible reliability. I like, I like to bet on formula one sometimes. And I always, I never really bet on this cause it's just such a crap shoot, but you can bet on the first retirement and you can do it for team or driver. And the highest odds to retire first every single race are Alfa Romeo and Alpine. They're always like plus 400, which I mean is pretty crazy, like not good odds for someone to retire first because they just retire so damn often. And then even more so than Mercedes who feels like they really never retire, McLaren has the longest odds on retiring from a race because I can't even think, like when have they retired? Ricardo, I think took out signs in Imola, Ricardo and Monza, has Lando retired once this year? I'm not sure he has. And that's what I mean. He's there every single race. And if Alpine just, if they can't finish races, then they will lose. And that will be the reason that they lose. But I was thinking about this. They, they obviously have the performance, um, and I think the performance over McLaren as well. Um, I was thinking about this. Seven points in two races. These teams are usually fighting over P7, P8, P9, P10. And with seven points remaining or seven-point separation, sorry, Um, if Alpine just keeps it on the tarmac, brings it home, they mostly, they most likely have two cars against one as well, because let's, like, Ricardo hasn't been there. There is the question of, is Ricardo back in helping out McLaren? That's why I gave McLaren my W, because they need him, but... I don't think so there's really no reason to believe in ricardo at this point he's been so inconsistent he shows flashes he was good in back he was good in australia every other race he's been pretty bad so there's yeah there's no reason to believe in him it's probably just a one-off he was on the softs when everyone else is on the hards so it's you kind of have to go by what we've seen so far and it's pretty much lando against the alpines um, so if Ricardo's not scoring, it's just not good enough if Lando's only one position ahead of an Alpine because that's only two points. And even if, say, Ocon retires the next two races, Alonso, or sorry, Lando has to be like three positions ahead of Alpine for that to work. If Alpine brings it home in P9 and P10 for the next two races, and Lando finishes P7, they still win. They, they still win by one point. So that's why... P4 is absolutely Alpine's to lose. Seven points, yes, anything can happen because P7 is what? P7 is six points. And Alpine could double retire. Ricardo, things can happen in a race, of course. I don't really need to explain that, I guess. But yeah, any in a straightforward scenario, these teams just aren't scoring enough points to really make even a seven points difference in two races. Of course, it can happen. Uh, cars up front can retire, um, but I just don't think Brazil or Abu Dhabi are really tracks that we're going to see Lando like pull off a P4 in either. So, yeah, I, I really think that if McLaren somehow pull this off, it's because of their reliability and it's because of Lando's driving, where if Alpine lose, it's 100% because of their horrible, horrible horrible reliability it they have no one to blame but themselves for their bad reliability not their performance because their performance has been better um i guess also another thing to note is alonso's engine did go in mexico so maybe there is a pu coming in brazil and that would be really big because say Ocon is a bad race alonso struggles to come through the field although brazil is not usually a track that you would struggle to pass slower cars maybe Maybe Lando can pull out like a P7 or even a P6 and then the Alpines kind of are like 11, 12. That would be massive for McLaren, but we'll see. So things like that, of course, can happen. But if things are straightforward, Alpine's got this and it's really no contest. So McLaren's kind of the fate is in Alpines hands. Anyway, that will do it for the Max Verstappen episode of Break Bias. I'm your host, Brad Kramer, and I will be back with episode 34 next week to preview the Brazilian Grand Prix. Somehow the only Brazilian on the grid is some guy born in Stevenage in Britain. That doesn't really make any sense. Uh, Anyway, goodbye.